0: Hello and welcome to K-Drama Kraken, your home away from home for the K-Drama Addicted. I'm Chris and this is the first of many, meaning itsy bitsy episodes I'm going to affectionately call Baby Krakens, (coughs) where I give short episode recaps of what I'm currently watching. Why? Because I watch a lot of dramas and while not all of them are excellent and get to be in a main episode, I do think they merit discussion. I really do believe there's a drama out there for everyone. Maybe this one will be the one for you. Hell, I also like to talk, guys. And since you're here anyway, why don't you pull up a beanbag? Got your Blinky and Sweet Tea? Then let's get crack. Queen, Love and War is a saguk fantasy drama that aired on TV Chonsoon from December of last year until February 9th. I'm unfamiliar with the network except for the fact that Cheon produced the Korean remake of the US show Leverage last year, and I was so impressed with the production quality of Queen and the draw of Kim Kwon in the Leverage casting that I'll definitely check Leverage out now. Anywho, the drama centers around the marriage of the young king, Yi Kong, played by Kim Miku, and his new bride, Yoon Ki, played by Jin Seon. We see the new couple in a grand procession on the way to the royal palace. The king in the head litter, looking regal and love struck, and sneaking constant glasses back to his veiled bride, being carried separately. He's also being constantly berated by his eunuch, played by An Sia, to turn back around. And frankly, I'm already rolling my eyes. Look, dude just got married, or is on his way to complete the marriage ceremony. And this is how we're going to meet you, sidekick eunuch Wong, telling our main dude not to shoot hard eyes and those adorable cavernous dimples at his new wifey. Okay. Not that it matters anyway, because 10 seconds later, bullets are flying. There are assassins on the rooftops. Almost immediately, most of the new queen's guards are dead. We see her litter down and a splatter of blood on her veil as she's shot and killed. And the baby king looks on in horror as the rest of the procession, including most of his eunuchs and guards, are killed. And Wang's leg is crushed under the weight of the king's own litter. Not that I think he could do much to guard the king anyway. Dazedly, Yi Kang leaves a tiny bit of cover he has and wanders to his new queen, but is stopped by an assassin who aims and fires a bullet directly at the king's head. We see it hit his temple in a pretty awesome-looking FX. and the king is down, eyes open and hand reaching for his queen. Moving on, there's a pretty transition of the dying king's hand to a young lady standing on a lawn and signaling to a carrier pigeon. There's an urgent matter, the message says, and the woman ignores the call of a colleague to come see the court lady to sneakily sneak through the streets and meet up with a lackadaisical young man named Wall. Yunbo, we learn the lady's name is, is annoyed that since the king and queen died, security is super tight and she's put herself in peril to meet him. But he's quick to explain why. She sold information to a man named Mr. Wong, a gun merchant that Wu now suspects of selling his wares to the assassins who killed the king. Now they know that it doesn't matter that neither of them knew about the suspected plot. Wall and Yunbo are in the secret selling business and have built a very good reputation in the town. But ironically, the double nature of their trade makes them highly suspicious to everyone as well. Their connection to Wan could ruin their business. Side note, I'm loving the dynamic between these two. Wall is clearly more of a brotherly figure to Yoonbo, and while there might be a potential second lead influence later on in the show, it's definitely a friendly, almost employer, the boss being Yoonbo, and employee relationship. Give me more platonic friendships in these dramas, please. End side note. Yunbo and Wall decide that the best way to exonerate themselves is to find out who pulled off the assassinations. Wall explains that he thinks is one of two aristocrat families, the Kim family, who has ties to the prime minister, and the Joe family, the reason being that the niece and daughters of both of these houses were snubbed by the king when he selected a bride. But Yoonbone counters that with the king dead, neither woman would have a second chance with him. Wall tells her and us, thank you, writers, that the chief state minister Kim is reckless and prideful. He would kill the king just because. And the left state minister, Joe, is cunning, and maybe the baby monarch wasn't as pliable as the men thought, so perhaps they decided to start over with a new administration after his death. At the palace, we see the bullet removed from the dead king's temple. It's intact and the wound is relatively small. Thanks for showing us that. I'm sure that will make some sense later. The king's mother and grandmother are in mourning, watching over his body as it's being prepared. The dowager queen wants to hold the bullet, hella dark consults with the court lady shaman about the spirits of the dead monarchs, and then has to talk to Minister Joe about replacing the king. Isn't this dude supposed to be cunning? Maybe talking about the next king before the night vigil of the current one is even completed is jumping the gun, no? An old dude is going to go get the intended replacement himself? The Dowager Queen, who I'm going to call Queen Grandma from now on, is bolstered by her ministers suggesting that she act as regent to quote-unquote help out the new king and doesn't think their apparently unilateral consensus on this issue is unusual at all, even though she points it out. She gives her blessing anyway. Elsewhere in the palace, all of our misgivings are confirmed by the other loud-mouthed ministers patting themselves on the back for finding a replacement king that they think will be dumb enough to control. The dead king was arrogant and innocent in their estimation, and the dead queen is obnoxious simply for being from the south and having a father none of the ministers liked. These jerks, members of the Kim family we learn, even hated how obviously infatuated the king was with his new wife. But they do suspect and reject each other for the crime. At the moment, we're supposed to think the Kims are innocent. And yet another place within the palace, the suspected shooter is being interrogated. Queen Grandma shows up and gets downright medieval, threatening to cut him up as he heals over and over instead of giving him a quick death. Even the interrogator looks shook. The shooter can only say that he was a beggar from Sunpo Bridge, who was told a rumor that if any of them learned how to shoot, they wouldn't go hungry. Yoon, Bo, and Wall are elsewhere, talking to Mr. Wong about who he sold five guns they suspect were used in the assassination. Wong tells them that the buyer was tall and huge, and if they managed to get a bullet from one of the guns used, he would be able to tell them if it's one of his guns. To Yunbo, that sounds like a great plan, because as a trainee to the shaman, she's charged with watching over the king and queen's bodies at night. She thinks she can get a bullet to confirm the buyer. Wall thinks that's a bad idea. I think that's a bad idea. She ignores us both. We cut to the palace, where we see the dead king's thumb move. Yay, Dimple King is alive! I guess due to the bullet being fairly large and the shooter having bad aim and being too close, it's entirely possible that the bullet was simply lodged in the skin of his temple and stopped by his skull rather than penetrating through to the brain. Dude got lucky. Yunbo arrives to where the slain king and the queen lay and she begins examining the king's body right away. Wax from her candle drips onto the king's hand and we see him flinch awake, grabbing Yunbo's arm. His startled face transitions into the past dimpled king six months ago to be precise the exact moment that his mother and grandmother told him that it was time for him to find a bride his mother tells him that he's been king for three years and needs a queen and his grandmother calls him an old bachelor i don't even want to think about what she would call me he asks to be a part of the process apparently unheard of and unlawful and reminds him that the queen is someone he should be expected to love and respect how could he not be part of the selection process the queen grandma doesn't look convinced even when he tries to sweet talk her Maybe he should have just pulled off a Stallone, I am the law, and left it at that, but he's clearly a nice chap. We learn later that the real reason he wants to be part of the selection process is so that he can find her, the one from the Kong family, whose name he doesn't even actually know. The process starts and my heart goes out to these ladies. They're under extreme pressure to bow perfectly, look amazing, and answer questions posed by the queen and queen grandma, who also had to go through this process and have their own prejudices. I'm sure they also love their baby Snookum's king and only want the best for him. The applicants arrive, all daughters of aristocrats, and it's clear that the king is looking for the family name of Kong, who is in attendance and newly arrived from Jeju. When she stands before them, he doesn't hesitate to remove the veil from between them, breaking protocol so that he can see the face of... Yunbo? Interesting. After the interviews, the ladies return to their litters, and the woman we think is Yunbo is disappointed. She thinks the king is rude, and knows that she wouldn't fit in at the palace. When she realizes that she left her trinket at the interview site, she returns and is immediately set upon by the king, who asks her if she remembers him from when they met as children. She doesn't. Then he asks her name, and she replies, with Yun Ki. Aha! This isn't Yunbo, but clearly a relation. The plot thickens. After embarrassing her by asking if he can look at her while already staring at her and telling her she's pretty, the intrepid king goes to her house at night and uses a sweet little girl to draw Yun-ki outside so they can go on a fairly uncomfortable date. The king's bodyguard doesn't look impressed in the slightest, and honestly, since we already know how tragically this all ends already, Yun-ki's odd behavior around the king stands out even more, especially when she asks how the child in his memory was. He says that that girl was ambitious and braver than most boys. He would never have thought she'd grow into the ladylike woman she is now. Okay. And if it wasn't any more obvious that Yumki has quote-unquote changed, she asked him if she had become a different person, what would he do? There's a pregnant pause where I hoped he would straight out ask her if she actually was a different girl, but instead he says it's okay if she's changed because she's still herself. He is so very sweet and naïve. And yet, as sweet as his words are, fate has different plans. Clearly telling of the failed future, there have King Dimples drops their lantern, and the candle goes out. And when the king walks Yuki home, he has to order her to continue the applicant process. Yeah, that's real romantic. We next see the king talking to Yuki's father, Kang Yusu, who has serious reservations about re-entering court life as the possible father-in-law of the king. We learn that when the king was a child, there was a petition filed by a hundred ministers to have Yun-Ki's father removed from his post as chief scholar based on his ties to a young group of Confucian students. The young crown prince had signed that petition, and in the present, the older king makes him a promise that he wouldn't allow anyone to trick him the same way his advisors did in the past. Later, we see the chief scholar meet with his old friend, the Inspector General Bach, who reminds us of how little power the king had as a prince and how he shouldn't overestimate his friendship with him. The skeptical Inspector General isn't wrong. The Ministers are already angry that the King is meeting up with his Chief Scholar so much, and Minister Joe, in particular gives the excuse of his daughter's possible selection as a reason for them to act against him. After all, there is a much more legitimate reason to be wary of the Chief Scholar. Apparently he and a group of educated aristocrats have been working with a mysterious man named Wang Yi, and the Chief Scholar has written a book of enlightenment that postulates giving power to the people. Yikes, I'm sure that's not going to come up again. To lighten up this serious political mood, we see the king receive the trinket that Yunki lost at her interview and sneak out to return it to her. But he doesn't make it far. Before he can leave the palace, he has to hide behind a litter that belongs to Minister Joe's daughter. They've also apparently known each other since childhood, and she is obviously infatuated. The king is caught, of course, and has to explain his new government office to his grandmother. Apparently, he plans to train beggars to guard and soldier. The queen grandma tells him he'll have immediate opposition because the ministers fear revolt, but the king is optimistic. He wonders how can a servant overthrow a king that serves the people. Finally, we get some answers about who Yun-ki is. As she laments that she lost her trinket, that we now know the king has, to her father, we learn that the trinket originally belonged to Yun-bo, her twin sister who went missing ten years ago. They are still looking for her, but don't think they'll ever find her. Her father tells Yoon-ki to steal herself for the results of the selection in the next few days. They both seem certain that she won't be chosen. It's down to just three daughters for the queen. Yoon-ki, of course, Minister Joe's daughter, and Minister Kim's niece. One by one, the women who lost leave the palace. Minister Kim's niece is smacked for her trouble. Man, that minister needs a good smack in himself. Ugh. Then, to everyone's surprise, Minister Joe's daughter, who runs distraught into her shocked father's arms. So that leaves our new queen. Yay! The king is thrilled. We see the preparations for the marriage with a bittersweet eye, knowing that as happy as this couple is, they're going to face horrible violence and death in a few short hours. And especially since we now know that Yunbo's sister was the one slain, her body a few feet away from her sister and vigil, and completely unbeknownst to her. The twins will never be reunited in life again. Flash forward to Yunbo and the now-alive king, who topples her and asks her how she's there. She knees him away and flees the palace, passing right by the stunned Inspector General, who appeared to be on his way to see the dead Yunki. His shock is further compounded by the king emerging from his vigil in his death robes. Much wailing ensues. In a great transition, as the resurrected king collapses in the dirt, the newly-selected king is called from his slumber by a crowd of officials waiting for him outside of his home. He funnily thinks they're mistaking his name, Li jewa for your majesty, Jonah, to which Minister Joe looks on with a pleased smirk. They've found their patsy king. Back to the palace, the ministers are baffled. How does a dead man wake up? The queen mother and grandmother are so grateful to have their king back, but there is the unfortunate news of the queen, to sour the moment. He is crushed. The inspector general realizes that the woman he thought was Yun Ki had on the robes of a shaman student and goes to the court lady to get answers. The shaman tells him that the girl never really had any psychic powers and is often running away. She's just an orphan that was found in the ocean by a fisherman ten years ago and who lost her memory of who she was. Super interesting. She tells the inspector general that Yunbo Bo is probably with the man she considers her brother. Back at the palace, the king is watching over the very dead queen. The girl is Slay Grey. There is no coming back for her. The queen regent wants to know if he remembers the face of the person who shot him, and he says that he still feels like he's in a deep sleep. He knows he's awake, but this is clearly a nightmare for him. Poor dimples. The new king approaches the palace at dawn, and the procession is stopped. No one can go in. The queen grandma is informed, and she says to let the procession in. She is already out of her mourning clothes, and she orders that everything signifying the king's death be removed at once. No one should know that they'd picked a new king. Too late, though, because as jay is walking the palace grounds, he runs smack into the recovering king. As the two men are sizing each other up, Queen Grandma is doing quick talking to the ministers, who want to know who she'll show her allegiance to. There's no question, her grandson is still the king, and jay hasn't been formally crowned. She'll make him a grand prince for his trouble and house him just outside the palace. That won't be suspicious at all. Now, of course, the shady ministers, being shady, have to call into the question the health of the king. If he's unhealthy now, how can the country be successful? Dude just came out of what looked like a coma last night. I cannot stand these ministers. Toss them all out. To compound the illogic, Minister Kim wonders if God is punishing the kingdom for having a king come back from the dead. Doesn't that sound like it would be a blessing if one believed in that? Queen Grandma asks Minister Joe if he believes that as well, and he straight up says that he doesn't think the king should have been resurrected. These dudes are the worst. But then, exemplifying that unpredictable character folks keep harping on about, Minister Joe says that maybe the king was meant to be a heavenly ruler. He points out that this is a blessing, good strategy, because now they have a king that has a great plan to fulfill. Good job, writers, in carving out the key differences between Ministers Joe's and Kim. Kim has made himself the strongest suspect in the king's attempted assassination in front of the queen regent, whereas Joe has shown loyalty to the royal family and read the damn room. Queen Grandma had already thrown her full support behind the king's recuperation. Kim is a moron. Outside of the palace courtyard, Jawa makes a fool out of himself by walking right up to the king. When he hears the Your Majesty, he immediately kneels and bumbles an apology that he's never seen a king, and isn't he supposed to be dead? The king does not look amused. Actually he looks still very sick. I think it's obvious to him who j is. Side note, j is hella suspicious to me. He may act and speak like a fool, but there have been a few times where he's looked cunning as a fox. I think he could turn on the fool like a light switch, and that might make him a threat later on. At night, we finally see Yunbo collecting some things from Raul's place and muttering about how creepy the king was. As soon as she leaves her shelter, she's snatched off the street and brought to the Inspector General. He says vaguely that she has the same face, and asks her if she wants to meet her parents. Dude, she doesn't know her parents. Is that even a question? Queen Grandma and Minister Joe are having a meeting. I guess because he was on her side, she now trusts him. He suggests they placate the Kim family, since they went against their objections to the King. And when the Queen asks how, he tap dances around the idea of the King and Queen's marriage being cursed from the start. Queen Grandma catches on right away and asks if he really means that the dead queen's family, the Kongs, should be punished because the Kims think the king is cursed. Minister Joe says some BS about what the books say about Ying and Yang, and I am completely aghast. Grandma looks torn. Really, Grandma? Come on! Isn't it suspect at all that Minister Joe, whose daughter was rejected by the king and has never liked the Kang family, now wants to charge them with a made up crime when they lost their only heir? I'm just. Wow no one saw this coming minister joe is absolutely evil but sure enough we see troops dispatched to kong yisoo's house where they charge him with providing false information on an application apparently you're supposed to divulge that you're potentially cursed because you might die sometime in the future y'all pro tip and the announcer makes sure to add that the king is also charging the kong family with treason i can't figure out the reasoning for that charge it's all bunk anyway the poor mourning chief scholar wants to make sure it's the king's order. And I don't even know if old dude knows the king is still alive, let's assume he does. And they drag him and his distraught wife right past his old friend, the inspector general, and his newly found daughter, Yoonbo. One look at her father's face and Yunbo's lost memories come flooding back, and then as if our hearts aren't sad enough, Kong sees Yunbo and is transfixed on her face. He knows that's his lost daughter, but doesn't even have a moment to acknowledge her before he's pushed ahead to face his false accusers at the palace. Yunbo is held back from running to him and ruining the plot by Beck, who finally tells her that her twin is the dead queen, who is now charged with treason. Ooh, man, this story is so heavy and twisty-turny. Am I already heavily invested? Absolutely. Will I continue to watch? Heck yeah. My only negative note so far is that I've watched another drama led by Jin Seon called High End Crush. And while I remember jung Yo woo how could anyone forget him? I don't remember her in that web series at all, even though she was the lead. You picking up what I'm putting down here? Yu-Seon has a bad case of Park Shin-hee-face, meaning in Kraken speak, yeah, I have my own language, that she's emotively limited. That's not a diss, believe it or not. Yunbo's character is still hella interesting, and I think the difference we saw between the twins' characters were definite enough. Siyan did a great job. I worry about her ability to be subtle, though, especially surrounded by heavyweight veteran actors like the Queen Regent and Minister Joe. Even Kin min performance so far has been really impressive, provided he's been in a coma for most of the first half of the episode. Judging from the previews for the next episode, the queen regent is going to be even more cutthroat and push the recovering king to choose yet another bride. And I feel like when Yunbo is told the truth according to the skeptical Inspector Beck, there is going to be a great revenge story to unfold. I adore an enemies-to-lovers angle. For sure, queen, love, and war doesn't look boring in the slightest. So that's the first baby kraken. I would pick a drama for the first episode that has so much going on that this baby episode feels more like a moody teenager, but I had fun. I hope you did too. You can reach me on Instagram and Twitter as kdramacraken and email me at kdramacraken at gmail.com, all one word. I would love to know what you think about this drama and any constructive criticism for the show. I am a special snowflake though, so please keep it civil. Until next time, thank you for listening and keep it cracking.